0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. morning. Happy New Year, right? Can you say that the day before? You do say that the day before, right? Happy New Year to everybody. Hope you all had a wonderful Christmas. I'm going to welcome all of you and welcome all of you who are joining us online. It's great to be together this morning. If I haven't had the privilege to meet you, my name is Brooks. I serve as one of the pastors here at New Break Church. It's wonderful to be together this morning. Today, let me tell you about a a small Idaho town that had a big problem in 1948. A small town with a big problem. You see, the beavers were taking over. They were taking over. Believe it or not, this small little town had a huge beaver problem, which I never thought that would actually be an issue, but I guess that's a real thing. Uh, Beavers are pretty fierce, and in this town, they were literally chopping down trees, creating dams, and bringing havoc in this town. And the people were starting to like riot about the beavers. Like it was like the beavers versus the people. And there was literally going to be about like a gangs in New York kind of a fight going on between them. And so the fish and game people but we're looking around saying, we love these beavers. We love these people. We need to save the beavers. So what are we going to do? So they got together and they started thinking. They were processing. We really, really are committed to protecting these beavers and making sure they're not killed by the town folk. But we also really appreciate the town folk. We want them to live happy lives. So what are we going to do? So they came up with some ideas. You want to hear some of their ideas? Okay, the first thing they thought about was taking a beaver and attaching it to a donkey, and then taking the donkey and sending it through these woods. So can you imagine carrying a donkey, or excuse me, carrying carry, that would be crazy to carry a donkey, but having a beaver attached to a donkey, I mean, it would be, that's, that's grounds for a massive bloody fight between those two animals. So they thought, that's too hard, that's too expensive. What if the donkeys went off on the wild? What if they fell off a cliff? What happened to the beavers then? You'd lose the donkeys and the beavers. So then they thought, you know what, what if we, uh, we put them on a truck? Let's put them on a truck and then we'll truck them into this forest area. But then they realized, number one, it's too much money for gas. Number two, uh, we can't get through the trees because we want to take them to a really thick, it, thick area of trees. So what are we going to do? So you know what they came up with? A catapult. They created these little beaver helmets and they put them in a catapult and they, put it, they directed it towards the trees that they wanted to and they just let rip. And these beavers, that's not what they did. That, they didn't do that. That would be against the law. But what they did do was equally wild and crazy. They actually dropped them from the sky with parachutes on. I'm not lying. This is something real. I saw videos of this. See, in 1948, they had a bunch of parachutes left over from World War II and they thought, you know what, this is the cheapest way possible. Let's put them in boxes. We'll attach them to a parachute, throw them out of a plane. When the boxes hit the ground, it's not going to kill the beavers somehow, and they're going to get out, and they're going to, like, fill this area. So they had one poor beaver that they dropped many, many times. They nicknamed Geronimo because they kept dropping this beaver over and over and over again, and he finally, they they figured it out, and believe it or not, they took all these beavers, they parachuted them from a plane, and they survived. And they actually built this incredible, like, habitat for beavers that's still thriving today. So, good job, fish and game people. Way to think outside the box. The thing with those guys were, is they were absolutely 100% committed to the safety and the life of those beavers. So, they started making decisions and making plans so that they would save the lives of these animals, As we start thinking about New Year's, New Year's is such a great time, as Pastor Nate was saying, to look back and see all that God has done, but also a very important time to look ahead and to decide and start making decisions about who do. We want to become in this year this 2024 year. So we I'm sure many of us are already thinking about fitness goals, right? Buying gym memberships and going for the first 20 day, 20 days and then, you know, wishing you got your money back, but you bought a year so your sunk cost you're in, right? We we do fitness goals, we have financial goals. How can we invest more money? How can we save more money or manage what we have better? Maybe we've been thinking about uh, big career goals coming up and you're wondering, what am I going to do? How am I going to process this? What are we going to do together as a family? What I would encourage you to also think about spiritual goals. Who who is it that God is transforming you into? What are some things that you feel like God wants to do in your life? Because God wants to bring spiritual transformation to refresh your relationship with him. To help you go from where you are now to a deeper, more intimate relationship with him in the next year. That would be something that God would want for you. But that takes us being, uh, making some decisions and deciding to commit to certain things, certain habits, certain ways of life, looking at things differently, thinking about God differently, taking some steps forward to experience spiritual transformation. And to experience more of God in our life. It's actually one of the things that I I send out birthday cards to our life group leaders. One of the things I always pray for them whenever I send out a birthday card is that you would grow closer to God, more closer to God in this new year of life than you have in any of your years combined. And that's something that that God desires for us too. But the question is, what are we going to do? What are some things that we can do and commit to to take steps forward in our relationship with God. And so that's actually what we're going to be looking at the Bible today. Because the book of Hebrews, if you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, has some really, really great insight for us. So if you have your Bible either on your phone or uh, your tablet or your Bible, your paper Bible, feel free to open it up and I'll open it with you to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. Let me talk to you a little bit about the book of Hebrews because I learned a lot about Hebrews as I was studying this, this, these few verses we're going to look at today. We're going to look about about, I think, five verses today. But the book of Hebrews was written to a group of believers who we think were primarily Jewish believers. How do we know that? Because when we reflect on the text, there's a whole lot of discussion about the first five books of the Bible, what we call the Torah. So in that first five books of the Bible, there's a a bunch of uh, things that the writer of Hebrews wants us to reflect on and see how Jesus was better than all of those things. So he wanted them to know that Jesus is actually better than the angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is the greatest, the best high priest, the, the greatest high priest that's ever lived. Jesus is so much better. Matter of fact, in, Je- in Hebrews chapter one, it says that Jesus is the expressed radiance of the father. What that means is like, just like you see the sun and a ray comes down, that ray comes directly from the sun. So too, Christ is a reflection of the heart of God. And he is someone that's worth following and trusting with your life. Because the thing is, Maybe you didn't know this. I didn't really know a lot about this. Is that the Hebrews, the people that he was writing to, were experiencing um, persecution. Matter of fact, if you were to read later on, and you can look a little bit few verses down in Hebrews chapter 10, it says that they were being publicly taunted. They were being ridiculed. And also, they were having their property seized for being a follower of Jesus. And it had gone to the point in the past that blood was shed And they actually reference that in Hebrews chapter 12. So these people were facing persecution and challenge. And the the writer of Hebrews wanted to tell them, hey, listen, there's some incredible things that you need to do to be able to stay the tide and to be able to walk forward in your relationship with God. And he's going to highlight a couple of them. I want to read those to you together right now. So let's go ahead and read Hebrews chapter 10. We'll start at verse 19. Therefore... Okay, Which gets us, to, whenever you see that word therefore in the Bible, it's like a pivot point. It's getting us to look backwards because it's at this part of the book of Hebrews that all of what he said about Jesus, all the incredible things that God has done for the followers of Jesus, all of that, now because of all that, we should live a different way. It's kind of like you have all this doctrine about God and about the spirit. Now here's how, here's what you should do with that. And so it begins by saying, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, which I'll unpack in a few moments, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God referring to Jesus, let us draw near to God. So anytime you see that word, let us, okay, in the text, it's actually throughout the book of Hebrews. It's constantly, that's, that's um, like a phrasing that he uses. And that, I would encourage you to underline that in your text, in your Bible, or highlight it in your Bible. Anytime he says, let us, he says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. And with full, uh, the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold, again, you see the let us phrase right there. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Who's the he? God. Because God is faithful, we can hold on. And then he says, and let us, again, you see the phrase, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So what is the first thing that we are to do or commit to do that's in the text from today? The first thing we see is for us to draw near to God rather than to pull away and disengage. To draw near to God. God's desire is for us to be moving ever closer to Him. To remain in a close relationship with Him. That's His heart for us for 2024. That you may have experienced God and trusted in God up to a certain degree. For some of us, it's very new. It's very fresh, this idea of being a follower of God, being faithful to God, praying, reading the Bible. It's all so new and fresh for you. And for those of you who've been following Jesus for a while, it feels like you've been doing this for, for a long time. But wherever you're at, I will tell you, God wants the same thing for you. God wants you to move closer. God wants you to experience, you, experience him more and more, to know him and to be known by him. And it's in that closeness that we experience transformation. Whenever we experience more of the love of God, God's love begins to transform and change our hearts. And he changes from the inside out. Let's look at um, in verse 22. We're just going to look at a little part of verse 22. He says, let us draw near to God. And we're going to save the second half of that here in a moment. About what it means to do that with a sincere heart. But you see, before Christ. So again, these these people had a Jewish mindset. Before Christ, they were very familiar with the idea of a sanctuary. Or a, a place where they would go and a priest would reside there. And he would take an offering and offer it on a altar to God and that that offering would would be covering up their sins and then once a year, the, Holy of, the, the high priest would go into what we refer to as the Holy of Holies. So like in the sanctuary that, that they created in this, in this place where God met with the people, there was a, one room where the priest would work and would be offering sacrifices to God. And then there was another room that was called the Holy of Holies. And it had this huge, huge, huge um, curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the other room. And in the Holy of Holies, that's where you had the Ark of the Covenant. You remember like Indiana Jones and Alaska, or in the um, uh, first one? Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Thank you. Remember the, the thing opened up and it melted the face? I mean, that looked great back then, right? But that was, that was inside the, the Holy of Holies. And the high priest would go one time a year, only once, to offer sacrifice for the whole people, for the sins that they committed and those ones that they didn't even know they committed. And it was such an incredibly powerful, special time that the high priests themselves, only the high priests, had to make sure that they were totally cleansed, that all their sin was covered, that they were sprinkled, they talk about sprinkled in in the text, that they themselves were prepared to go and meet the holy God that created all things and that God would be there in his presence to meet with them. You see, when Jesus Christ died on the cross for every single one of us, he he was the perfect sacrifice, the complete sacrifice for all sins, and that when that when his blood was shed, the Bible says that actually that the the um, the curtain between the holy of holies and the rest of the sanctuary was torn from top to bottom. That was a very symbolic act because you know what that means. That means that there's no longer anything that can separate us from God. That God actually desires that we would draw into a close personal relationship with God. That we no longer need a mediator of a priest to do it. Christ himself is our mediator between us and God. So, there's nothing that will stop anybody in this room from approaching God and having God in His love and grace and forgiveness cleanse us and allow us to have a close relationship with Him. And this truth means that for us, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, can become a holy moment with God. Some of us, when we, a lot of times for me, I'll be honest, for me, I sometimes have the best time with God when I'm driving in the car. That may sound crazy but I put on worship music. I put my heart, my focus is on God while I'm trying not to get in accidents and I'm, I'm focusing on God. Lots of times I'm driving my eyes closed. I mean, it's totally this incredible time with God. I don't do that, but I, I'm, I'm focused on God. And those moments can become holy moments for me because I realize that in those moments, I am intentionally moving closer to God and draw, and God is there drawing near to me. So whether you're in a boardroom waiting to do a presentation and you're stressed about everything that's happening, right there, right then can be a holy moment between you and the Lord. Because again, there's nothing. The veil is gone because of Christ's work. He's, he's completely cleansed us of our sins and given us an opportunity to connect with him. So we have 24-7 access to God now. And God invites us into that relationship with him. When I was... Um, I was eighteen. I first became a christian i originally wanted to be either one of two things an f b i agent, uh, which I found out is mainly like a uh like I was told you need to get some type of a math or finance degree, which was a little bit of a, be- a bummer for me. Um, or I wanted to be a, a, a murder, de- excuse me, a um, homicide detective. I grew up watching Law and Order. Anybody else watch Law and Order? Briscoe was my hero. I wanted to be just like Briscoe, and so uh, that was my plan. But then when I became a Christian, I became a follower of Jesus. All of a sudden, I had an internal desire to be uh, a pastor. I don't know where, it just like popped into my heart. That's what I wanted to do. And so instead of going to school and studying to be an FBI agent, getting into law enforcement, I said, you know what, I need to seek God for my life and see what he wants for me. So I moved to England and I went to this small Bible school in northern England where there were sheep all over the place and it was, it was like sense and sensibility to the max, right? It was all there. But the problem was while I was there, I was really struggling with a great deal of anxiety. And it took me a while to understand where the anxiety was coming from. But ultimately, what I realized is that I was wrestling f- with God for my life. You see, part of me really wanted to go back and, and to live a whole different life and to pursue the things that I wanted for my life. But I felt that even in that place that God was tugging on my heart to trust him and to follow him. And some of us, some of us in this room, you know what I'm talking about. That internal struggle of, is it my life or God's life? Am I driving the ship or is God driving the ship? And ultimately, all of us will come to those points probably several times in our life where we have to make those decisions. God, I submit to you. I submit my life to you. And when I was in England, I was struggling so hard with like just wanting control of my life. At the very end of my time, I remember I was so sick of fighting with God, I took a walk. And I was out walking around on these roads. It's completely pitch dark. I saw all these incredible stars. I just felt like I was so sick of fighting with God. I just finally said, I give up, God. I give up. It's your life. I want to follow you. You lead me wherever you want. And in that moment, I felt like, it's just a strange thing, but I felt like it was this holy moment between me and God and all of these sheep that were surrounding me. It was just this incredible moment. I actually, as I leaned in, because sometimes when God begins to reveal himself to you, we have those choices if we're going to lean in or we back out. And I felt his presence. I started leaning and I just said, God, I'm here. Speak to my heart. I'm here. I just, uh, you guys will think this is crazy, But as a sign of myself saying, God, this is your life, not mine. I got on my hands and knees in the middle of this road in England. And I got on my face and I just said, God, I'm sick of fighting with you. I want to offer my life to you. And that moment has stood out to me as a bit of like a stone of remembrance for me. Of wanting to remind myself to go back to that place. Of not only seeking God, but seeking God With a sincere heart. Look at the text, the sincere heart. Whenever you see the heart in the Bible, it's it's oftentimes referring to the center of your being, the things that makes you you. And he says, to see God with a sincere heart. So what is sincere? Well, sincere is the opposite of fake. Sincere is something that's pure, it's focused, it's genuine. So like, for instance, if I were to buy gold, I would want to buy real gold, pure gold, not fake gold. So I would be saying, I want to buy sincere gold, something that's real, that's not faking, that's not hiding. That's God's desire for each of us, that we would approach God with that heart that's, that's focused and willing to just lay it all out before the Lord. No need to hide, no need to pretend, Just bring to God your heart and say, God, you see all of me. You see all of my faults. You see every part about me. Purify my heart, God. Make my heart undivided so I can be focused on you. See, we've all experienced the distracted friend. We've all experienced someone in our life, when you're talking to them, they're doing this. And then you're like, are you listening to me? And they're like, "Mm, yeah, yeah, I am. And And you're realizing, no, you're not, you jerk. You're not listening to me, right? Or even worse, when you're talking to somebody and they do this thing where they're looking at you, like I'm looking at my buddy Cody right now, and then I turn and look and I'm looking for somebody else. You know that feeling? When someone is like, really, they're just talking to you to hold the time until they can talk to the person behind you? That bugs me big time. But I'll say this, sometimes I can approach God in that exact same way. I was felt deeply convicted about this. Sometimes I'm listening to my Bible app because I've got to get my Bible in, right? While I'm doing the dishes and my girls are fighting and screaming and there's like this big brawl that's happening. So I'm like trying to listen to the book of Titus while I'm stopping a fight, while my hands are dripping with water because I have dishes all over the place. And I realize my heart is divided in that moment. I know life gets busy. There will always be things that will distract us from God. Always. There will always be things that will pull you away from seeking the heart of God. But God is encouraging us, challenging us, 2024 to be that day, where, that, this year where we focus and we draw near to God. And that could be like daily devotionals. That could be time committed to prayer. That could be, I'm going to be at church every single Sunday with my heart open to God, whatever he may be. You know, it could also be is for us to start the year with a time of focused prayer and fasting. See, all new breaks, I'm going to tell you this. If you didn't know this, all of new break, all churches, we're going to be having a focused time of prayer and fasting and seeking the heart of God for 2024. And it begins on Monday, January 8th. So in this room on Monday, January 8th. So if you got your phone, you want to check your calendar. Am I free? Am I busy? Am I watching? Monday Night football's probably gone at that point. What do we got going on? Well, I would encourage you to join us on Monday, January 8th seek the heart of God. Seek God's best for your life. Draw near to God and join us for a time of prayer and worship on Monday, January. We'll have more information about that. But also every Wednesday after that for the next three weeks, we're going to have a time of prayer. This is going to be open from 6 a.m. in the morning until I think 7 on Wednesdays moving forward after that. So if you're an early riser, I encourage you to come. 6 a.m. is really early for me. So I might be praying in my bed. Maybe I'll be here. I'm not sure. But I would encourage you to check that out. Right? So the first thing we want to do is draw near to God rather than pull away. The second thing we want to do is we want to hold on tight. Hold on tight to the promises of God. See, God keeps his promises with us. And he asks us to hold unswavering to it. To hold on tight to it. To remember them. And don't forget, these people that this was being written to were facing persecution. They were facing trial. They know what it means to go through hardship. And look, let's look at verse 23 from the New Living Translation paraphrase version here. He says this, Let us hold tightly, hold on tight without wavering to the hope that we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promises. You see, it's very easy for us to hold on to what we see. And much like these Jewish believers, it was, it was very easy for them to say, you know what, I want to go back to what I know. I want to go back to what is comfortable. But the author is saying, hold on, hold on tight to what we know about God and what we know about his word See, when we when we hold on to what we see, it's easy for us to begin to put all of our focus and attention on somebody else. Somebody else around you in your life is going to help you, is going to be the backbone for you, is going to be what you need to get through this hard time. And I would encourage you, it's good to have support, but it can often be misplaced. Because some of us are looking for something that only God can give you. And so whatever you find yourself in, whether 2024 is a time of financial struggle or what's going to happen with your job or what's going to happen with your finances. Some of us are even already thinking about different procedures we have coming up and it it causes anxiety in our heart. I would encourage you to hold on tight to the promises of God because in our most difficult hour and the most trying time in our life is when God's promises help us to feel a sense of security. Matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 6, they talk about hope the author talks about hope and he compares it to something. He compares hope, having holding on to hope, the hope of God, as almost like an anchor for our souls, firm and secure. That we, in the midst of all of this hardship that you may be facing, what you're walking into in 2024... Hope, the hope that God is there, that God cares, that God's promises are secure. How do we know that? Because God is faithful. God will never leave us, never abandon us. We're encouraged to hold on to that, hold on tight to those truths. So we all know, you've all seen pictures of an anchor. What is an anchor for? Well, an anchor is there to keep a boat secure, whether it's tied to a tree or down in the ocean. It's there to help secure during storms, but also, you know what it does too? It keeps you on course. It keeps you on course. There are things that will come up this year that are going to be trying to push you off course, push you away from what God wants for you, pull you into areas that you don't want to be. But God is like an anchor for our souls, that God invites us to put all of our trust and our hope into him. Um, probably a couple weeks ago, I went to the House of Blues, and I saw um, uh, this metal band play. And I'm, I'm into hardcore music. I like metal music, and I don't go to a lot of shows because I have little children, and it's impossible to do that. But I knew this band. I really wanted to see them, and so I went. And the very end of this, the band that I went to see, as they were getting out, as they were almost done, the very last song the lead vocalist, this guy's kind of yoked, good-looking dude, like he looks ready, he's ready to go. He starts his vocals very strong. There's a heavy breakdown. There's hundreds of people hardcore dancing. It's incredible. I was like, yes, this is amazing. So much energy. And all of a sudden, the dude straight up grabbed, like takes his foot, looks out in the audience, and he takes a a step into the audience. And somebody is there, and they grab his, he grab his foot, And then he's like, he looks like emboldened by this. So he takes another step and this dude starts walking into the crowd while people are holding him, while he's like going heavy into this breakdown, while there's this hardcore pit that's breaking out. It was incredible. I was like, wow, this guy is so crazy. He's doing this right now. But he knew from as many shows as he'd been to that whenever he stepped out to do that, people have always grabbed his feet. He knew that. He's had hundreds of shows and people were expecting it. They were ready for it. He was secure in their support. He knew that they would not drop him. That is what the promises of a God are in our life. They remind us of those truths of God. That God will not drop us. God will not abandon us. That there is no place that God will not chase and find us. That God's eyes are always on us. That his thoughts towards us are precious. That he actually pays attention and captures every tear in a bottle. That there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. When I became a a believer, I had this internal drive to memorize scripture. I wish I still did that. I'm not as good at it as I used to be. But I would memorize scripture, memorize scripture. And those few scriptures that I memorized as a young teenager, as an 18-year-old teenager, those are scriptures that come to my mind at times that I'm struggling the most those are scriptures that remind me about the faithfulness of God and the hope of God. Matter of fact, my buddy Corey over here, I, I think he's a wonderful father. And one thing that he does with his kids is he, he, helps, me, he helps them memorize scripture. Even as little children, his little three-year-old is memorizing scripture little bits at a time. Little bits, little bits, little bits. And it builds a foundation upon which his daughters will have for the rest of their lives. So I don't know if you've been a follower of Jesus since you were a child, or you've just became a follower of Jesus and you're 65, 7 years old. There's still time to hide God's word in your heart to be like a secure foundation for you during difficult seasons of your life. Like for me, some of the scriptures that really speak to my heart whenever I'm afraid, Isaiah 41:10. Fear not. God said, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 138.8. The Lord will perfect those things that concern me. Psalm eight eight. Philippians 1, six. Being confident of this, that the one that began the good work in me will bring it to completion. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to God, let your requests be made known to God, and check this out, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. As we meditate on God's word, we hide his word in our heart. It reminds us that God is truly trustworthy. That as we step out, we are not stepping out into darkness. We are stepping out into the hands of God that will meet us and hold us and strengthen us when we need it most in 2024. And for some of us here, maybe the best place to start is a Bible uh, reading plan. Reminding yourself of the truth of God. I've got one here for you. I'll show you on the screen. If you want to be reminded of the promises of God for the first 31 days of January, this is your Bible reading plan. Pull out your phone, hit the QR code. This is starting tomorrow. This whole plan is all focused on the promises of God. You want to be reminded of it? This is your plan. For me, and my family, I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be reading through the Psalms and Proverbs the whole year. That's my plan. Psalms and Proverbs. One Psalm, one proverb a day. If you need help finding one, I'm happy to help you find one. If you want to go on the one with me, I invite you on it with me. We can read through it together. But ultimately, God is inviting us to trust him and to rely on his promises. And the last thing, okay, ready? This is the last one, ready? This is great. The last one is to do life together. To do it together. John Wesley, a great, um, one of the great evangelists, preachers in American history, he said this, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. You and I were designed and created for fellowship with God and fellowship with each other. Look right here. I'm going to point out a couple of stuff here in the text and I just want you to just uh, follow along with me. I'm going to point out just a few things here. So first he says, let us consider. You know what consider means? That means for us to think about and find ways for us to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. You know, so what he's saying is, hey... Hey, everyone, let's actually stop and think. How can I benefit and bless the person whose life is sitting right next to me? How can I show these people in this room that I love them and I care about them? What can I do? What is my part to support and encourage those around me? I mean, I see people in this room that are constantly sending me texts, checking in on me. How are you doing? I'm praying for you. How's your life? My buddy Nick does that all the time. Just want you to know I'm praying for you. How's it going? People in my life I've given access to. All the masks, all the the feeling I've got to be perfect, I've got to have it all ready to go, I drop them. And I say, man, I need support. I need help right now in my life. So he says, let us consider how to spur each other on. Here's something really cool. The, The word for spur is like this idea of a prick, it's like you're poking someone, you're provoking somebody. It's not, it's not like, usually it's used in a negative sense. But in this case, he's saying, hey, we should be a type of a community where we are poking, bringing goodness and love and great works out of people around us. But you can only do that if you're close. You can only do that if you actually are leaning into community. It's very hard to experience that when you come in and you sit down and you get up and leave as fast as you can. It's very hard to do that. I would say it's almost impossible to experience what he's talking about without truly intentionally committing your life to do life with another person, another follower of Jesus. And he says to do it, spur each other on towards love and to good deeds. One of my friends, her name is Betsy. Betsy. She's a dear follower of Jesus. She's been a friend of mine for a long time. She does this to me. She spurs me on. A couple weeks ago, I was really, 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 really stressed out about not having a certain type of medication that I really need, that my body really needs. And I get it from a specialty pharmacy, and it's all the way in Texas. And if I don't have it, it has a big impact on on my health. And so there was all these problems that were happening with this this uh, pharmacy and all this stuff, and it seemed like nobody gave a rip that I was getting very low and then out of medication. And so I was literally on the phone with people five, six, seven times a day, sometimes for up to two hours, just so I could try to figure out where the heck my medication was. And I was getting not more faithful. I will tell you, I was getting more angry. I was getting more angry and more angry and more angry. And I was angry at the people, the pharmacy. is was also getting angry at God. Because I was like, God, you know about this. Why didn't you do something? That's what my prayer was. God, I feel like you're kind of letting me down here. What's going on here? And my friend Betsy reached out to me. She said, I feel like God wanted me to connect with you. How are you doing? And I said, I'm really not doing well, actually. I'm having issues with getting medication. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm really frustrated. And she said to me, uh, Brooks, have you been praying about it? And I was like, no, I've not been praying about it. No, thank you very much. It hasn't been doing jack. And so I felt like a little bit of a spur coming. And because I knew that she loved me and she was so gentle in her response to me, she said, Brooks, I encourage you to go to God with this concern because God knows and God cares. So pour out your heart to God with this. So I put the phone down And I just went to God, said, God, what's going on? I know your word says that you love me, that nothing will separate your love from me, but I'm not feeling that right now. Where are you at? I need your help. I need your help. And I got a text a little bit later today. She said, I hope you're feeling better. She said, Don't forget, God sometimes works in the 11th hour. Another spur to remain faithful. Another spur. And I'll tell you, two days later, I got my medication in the mail. Two days later, someone gave a rip about my life and helped send the medication. But I will tell you, God worked on my behalf. My friend Crystal, she's a part of our church here. She knew that a couple weeks ago, I was involved with a family who lost their teenager suddenly to a car accident. And I was invited to be there and be a part of, of supporting them and be at the hospital with them. And the guys in my men's group know I've been reaching out by, by messaging our messaging app. Guys, I need prayer. I need prayer. This is really hard. I don't know what to do. And I, I was invited and asked to do the, the memorial here at this church right before Christmas. And I just felt so like afraid. So like, God, I just want to be really used by you. But I don't know how to do this. And just need your help. and need your strength. And my friend Crystal just kept texting me as the Lord led. Brooks, I'm praying for you. God's going to show up. God is going to do the work. I'm praying for you. Trust God. Trust God. Trust God. It's like those moments I was getting spurred to love God. Spurred to trust him. Spurred to be faithful to God. And that God would show up. But the key for us here is we have to do it in gentleness. Um, Let's look at, let me see. Nope, hold on. Boom, there. Okay. If you don't know this passage... I would encourage you to highlight this passage. Write it down. Go look at it later. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 is one of, I think, one of the more important passages in the New Testament. At least to me. All passages are important. But this one is important to me. Um, He says this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, which the idea of caught, it's like this idea of like there's a hole in the ground and an animal fell through and it was caught. If someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person. How? Gentleness. Gentleness. Somebody is struggling. You know what they don't need? They don't need an I told you so. They don't need a you deserved it. They need a restoration. The word restore is where we get this, in the Greek, it's where we get this idea of a bone that's being broken that needs to be set. Set. It's this idea of, it's the same term that they use for nets when they were fishing. So, if you throw a net out and you catch fish and you have a huge hole in it, then the net can't do what it was designed to do. So, what do you have to do? You have to restore the net. And that is what God desires for our community to be a place of restoration a place where people can come in with their hurts and their wounds and their mistakes and their challenges and their struggles. And we don't have to sit here and hide like we've got all this figured out and that we're all perfect in this room. But it's a place where we come and we're close enough where you let someone in, they see your wounds, they see your pain, they see your shame and they say, I love you, let's figure this out together. You are not alone in this. I had a very strong sense in the first service as I was sharing this truth that somebody in the room felt like they were all alone and they were in a dark place with no light and no way out and just felt ashamed. I don't know if anybody feels that this morning. Shame and shame and shame. But we have an opportunity to be Jesus in the flesh, to reach down and pull somebody out of a pit and say, guess what? The Lord forgives you. He forgives you. So let's move on together. Not alone, but together. Let's do this. Do you have people in your life that are close enough to you like that? That you can invite them in and ask them to help you? Because that's what God wants to build in 2024 in our church community. And I just want to highlight the last part of this verse. He says he talks about here, how do we do this? How do we spur one another on? He says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So some people gave up on the church. They gave up on meeting with people. They gave up on any hope of the support that the body would offer. And he said, don't do that. Don't give up. If you've been hurt in the past, don't give up on the church. Just because you had a bad doctor one time doesn't mean you're going to swear away all doctors. But instead, to lean in. Don't give up meeting with each other here. Don't give up on, on the people around you. Because God uses the people around you to remind you of him. God uses their hug and their care and their support to be there for you. When my daughter was just about a month old, I won't ever forget this. She was about a month old. She was really struggling. She had a really, really bad rash all over her body, and we did not know why. Still, it's just hard. She was screaming all the time. She was losing all this weight. We, you know, some of you had, you know, you had little babies. You remember those scales that you're constantly checking the baby's weight in, right? Well, we had that scale. We were using that thing all the time because we were afraid because she kept losing weight, and so doctors were showing us on on those maps about what happens if your kids lose too much weight, and so we were terrified. I remember we. Had, we were part of the New Break family and we had some people that were really close to us and they wanted to bring meals to us. So one of the families, John and Robin, a wonderful couple, they brought us a meal. They brought us burritos. I remember they were sitting around with us and they're just there for a little bit. And I remember John looked up at me. It's like he read my soul. He looked up at me and he said, Brooks, how are you guys doing? I started having tears in my eyes. I was like, oh, it's so hard right now. We're really struggling. We don't know what's wrong with June. We don't know if it's going to happen. He just, he just said, "Hey, we want to pray for you." So, Amy and Robin, they put their arms around Heather and I. We were holding June, and I don't even know what they prayed. I can't remember a single thing he prayed. I just knew in that moment it was like God's presence was there. It's just like this huge hug. I just remember that moment, like, wow, this is incredible. Their presence meant everything to us. The fact that they cared, they came. They were there. See, the power wasn't in the burrito. It was a great burrito. It wasn't in the burrito. The power was in the generosity that they showed. The power was that they were there. Their presence meant everything. You ever been with someone that's really, really suffering? You know what they need the most? They don't need trite sayings. They just need your presence. And their presence in that room changed me. It changed me. I wanna I do that for other people. I wanna be that person. I will forever, forever fight and, and challenge and push and encourage our community to experience, our church to experience that kind of community where we care for one another, where we know each other's wounds, and we never use it against each other, where we pour out love and kindness and generosity to each other. That is the community that God wants to build here at our church. That is one thing I hear constantly. I will say, one of the compliments I can give our church community is people come in here all the time and they say, it feels like I'm accepted when I come here. That is like, that is like the most beautiful sound to me. When someone says, I feel accepted and I feel loved and I feel like I'm a part of this community. So the question is, are you experiencing that? Do you have that in your life? One of the best ways that we can really truly walk in that and experience that is to join a life group. To do life with each other every single week and see what God does through that. So let's just go ahead and close our eyes. Let's go ahead and just pray. I would encourage you right now, wherever you're at in your relationship with God, whether you're just, you're not even there yet. You're just here. Someone invited you, you're here. I would encourage you to open up your heart to God right now. Tell them the way you feel. Some of us in this room are really struggling. Ask God to help you to feel secure in him, to hold unswervingly to the hope that we have because he who promised is faithful. If we feel alone, just maybe that's your prayer. God, help me to feel this community that we're talking about. Open your hearts to God. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this group of people that are here right now. Thank you for drawing everybody here, Lord. God, we want to draw near to you, God. We want to move closer to you this year, Lord. Help 2024 to be a year that we experience your closeness all the time God that we wouldn't want to draw back out of fear or shame but God that we know that that veil is ripped we have direct access to our heavenly father so Lord help nothing to stop us from that God I pray that you would help us to experience the kind of community that you desire for us God that we have people that are close enough to spur us on close enough to pick us up when we fall close enough to restore us when we're struggling God thank you for this work that you're doing by your Holy Spirit in our church community. We ask you to do more of it, Lord, this year in 2024. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.